This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. episode 314 of the craft beer brewing podcast and we've got a special fresh hop brewing panel episode this week coming at you um joining me are three award-winning fresh hop brewers start off with some introductions so that people can understand who i'm talking to and who's a part of this um first is uh, joe morfeld from pine house joe welcome to the podcast hey thanks jamie great to be here excited to talk about fresh hops this is gonna be a lot of fun I should say welcome back to the podcast, <laughs> and I should say that to all of you because all three of you have been on the podcast before. Steve Luke from Cloudburst is with us. Steve? Thanks, Jamie. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about fresh hops or wet then, hops, as some say. We will uh, Maybe we'll parse the difference between those and how you all refer to all of these things now that the world of fresh hop and wet hop is getting so complex. And uh, Zach Turner is also here. Welcome back, Zach. Thanks, Jamie. Nice to talk with you again. For those of you that aren't familiar, uh, you know, Pint House, I, I went back and checked these kinds of medals that you guys win for fresh hop beers. Pint House started winning in 2018 with a World Beer Cup Silver for this year's crop, Wet Hop, a 2019 GABF Gold for Fresh Hop Green Battles, which you won again a silver for in 2021. 2022 won bronze in the Fresh Hop category for Fresh Hop Training Binds. Um, and of course, Double Dry Hopped Green Battles was a 2019 Craft Beer Brewing Editor's pick and one of our best 19 beers of 2019. Cloudburst, 2019 World Beer Cup Bronze for Fresh Frozen. Later that year, you won uh, GABF Bronze. Uh, then, of course, in 2021, Craft Beer Brewing named Aqua Seafoam Shame one of our best 20 beers of 2021. Single Hill got on the map uh, or got on the uh, the awards uh, list with a gold in 2021 for energy cone you beat someone else that year who had a silver in the same category uh <laughs> anyway lots and lots and lots of awards and award-winning beers from the three of you guys and so we're going to talk about uh, your approach to fresh hop beers um some of the new technologies for making fresh hop beers that you all are employing um some of the the like cutting edge techniques that you all are using how you go about doing these, some of the the uh, similarities and some of the differences in those things, um, using hops like uh, individually quick frozen hops, 301 trial hops. I'm sure Zach can talk about making his own pellets out of the current uh, crop year stuff, um, some of the pioneering techniques that you all have been doing. Before we do that, for years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built, offering 24-7 service and support. G&D builds with non-proprietary parts, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. G&D's in-house engineering crew have been piping breweries, wineries, and distilleries for over 30 years. They offer free piping design and consultation with the sale of every chiller they build. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is brought to you by our friends at BSG. We'll invite you to experience one of the newest hops from their Hop Solutions line, H.S. Grove. Developed for hop-forward beer styles, H.S. Grove boasts incredible biotransformation qualities, giving you the power to transform your next IPA into a stone fruit 
powerhouse. Choose H.S. Grove for West Coast IPA, New England IPA, Double IPA, American Pale Ale, or any beer style where delicious fresh fruit aromatics are desired. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And scheduling freight carriers should be the last thing on a brewer's mind, so why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard's partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry, to transport your flavored craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes. To get started, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Maybe just kick things off um, you know, with a kind of overview about some of the similarities and some of the differences in the way that uh, you all make fresh hot beers. And Steve, you're a Seattle native or uh, not a Seattle native, but a Seattle brewer who's been uh, going over the the mountains to Yakima and, and grabbing hops from uh, from very early days for for a long time now. Um, you know, let's maybe kick it off with you. Talk to me about how um, you know fresh hop brewing has evolved in the long time that you've been doing it, um, and then what that looks like now for Cloudburst. Ooh, how how it's evolved. I mean, I it's it. I mean, I think. In sheer volume alone, it's involved dramatically. I feel like back in the, you know, early aughts, uh, 2009, 2008, 2010, like we'd all just brew one and it would be like, this is this one beer. We're going to make a big trip out of it. No one knows how to, you know, no one really knows what we're doing out there. So farms are confused. Um, they don't know how to bill us. It's just like, here's some beer. Thanks. Here's some hops. Uh, you know, you, the communication wasn't great. Um, to, you know, the last few years, it's like, at least for a Northwest brewery and, and Zach can kind of confirm, it's like, you know, there's at least a handful that I feel like most, most breweries do a handful uh between myself and, and Zach and even Chris Bomb and Varietal, we've had to kind of have a pause, like an arms race pause, where it's like, how many are you going to do this year? Because we can't keep keep doing more and more. It's not fair. So um we're doing 10 this year, Zach, just so you know. I got it all penciled out. <clears throat> it's 10 brew days. 10 brew days. Gotcha. That's more than us, so. No, don't say that. Yeah. At the it's same time, late. yeah, at the same time, brewers like Fremont, you know, have gone into like taking entire fields and building entire brands, brewing thousands of barrels of fresh hop beer, um, you know, and the organization and the structure and the approach to that has gotten um, pretty, pretty significant. For you, Steve, what is it about fresh hop beers? Um, because it's expensive, you know, the ingredients are expensive, the logistics are hard, um, you know, and there's a lot to it. What is it about those beers themselves? that still makes them attractive for you. I mean, I can see why Zach can do it because he can just drive to farms as, as we did last year when we were out there and just go pick up some hops and come back to the brewery and, and brew them. But, I mean, it's it's a little more involved, uh, not to mention somebody like Joe brewing them down in Texas. Um, but what is it, you know, for you, Steve, about the allure of these beers that that uh, that brings you back and puts so many on the schedule every year? Well, I mean, I, I a lot of that goes back to the, the connections with the farmers that we have. So, you know, producing it, from a passion on that side. And then really like the, the beer drinkers, you know, around Seattle, around Washington have really come to, to embrace like the true seasonality, uh, you know, of the beer. Um, 
it is a lot of work. I mean, I guess talking back on, on the evolution, you know, I used to go out there same day, grab hops, come back, start my brew. I, we now get hops the, the evening before uh, we brew the next morning just to kind of make it slightly more manageable as far as like a logistics standpoint goes. But yeah, I mean, what, what it's still even being two and a half hours away, it's, it's really relatively close. And I think we've had this conversation quite a bit with, with, you know, brewers that, that are out here that, you know, we'd be crazy not to, we have what 75% of all the hops grown, you know, two and a half hours to our East. We've got another 15, 20%, just, three three and a half hours to our south so it's like why not uh why not push burnout every year to make something so fragile and fleeting and and beautiful and and unique ultimately so um from relationships to growers to brewers to drinkers zach what is it for you about uh about fresh hot beers that uh you know that keep you so engaged with it every year yeah when we opened this brewery, it really wasn't part of the plan to make a ton of fresh hop beers. Like we wanted to make diverse beers in Yakima, but by the f- by the first harvest, I think we made like three because it just was kind of easy and simple. And then um, I think partly it was for us it was COVID to some extent. Like we were just here hanging out, and there wasn't much else to do. So we were like, well, we are in this place where we have really some of the best access in the world to amazing hops. Um, let's it would be a shame not to take advantage of that and to like lean into that as completely as we can and then the thing that really keeps it going for us and we're really thinking about this a lot this year as we put together our plan is because we're here we have this ability to just access farms and we have close relationships um is to find as many ways to connect each of these fresh hop brews with another group and share it as widely as we can like when we had you out last year to brew some fresh hop along with the guys from zeke's like that's an example um, we've done fresh up collaborations with Joe. We've done one with, um, with Steve too. And so each of the brews this year, we're really trying to focus on a different like type of group that we can share fresh up brewing with. And so in a lot of cases, it's less collaborations with brewers, it's more collaborations with people in other aspects of beer. Um, and it's just a really, really fun way to share it with people. It's like, um, it's really unique that because all the hops are grown in such a concentrated area, the number of people that actually have seen what's going on is very small. And we're in a place where we can we can really play host to that and uh, open up our doors and then also like open up our contacts and connections and bring people out. And I think that's what makes it the most fun and exciting for us these days. There does there is a really beautiful, almost ritual element to it. And being able to drive out to the fields to cut down some vines, throw them in the back of a truck, you know, take them over to a, a small uh, picker, you know, and then whole bags of hops that you know you just cut down as they were growing um, and then go and make a beer from them it just feels so connected you know it, it closes this loop between agriculture and the beer and you know in such a, a special way joe for you uh what is it about fresh hop beers that uh, uh either from a flavor or from a process standpoint that uh gets you excited and gets you going through all the logistic hurdles uh, that you have to go through to make fresh hop beers from your brewery in Texas? For me, it's, you know, I, I kind of, I grew up in Southern Minnesota, a big agricultural area. And, um, you know, I think the, the farming focus, uh, for brewing has always been really important to me. We've always said we'd make real, really agriculturally driven beers. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, is, is around the hops. And, um, I think what I love about 
doing fresh ops, especially here in Austin, is I get to tell the story about the people who grow my raw materials, you know, that we go out and hand select every year. And I get to explain that to people because a lot of people down here, you know, again, I think to I think it was um, Steve's point about, you know, he's two and a half hours a, away, but like a lot of people don't understand how much has grown in one little region. And you get to tell that story to a new audience and, and people really latch onto it. And they're very excited every year when we get to do it. And um, we've done some really fun beers, you know, where we, you know, just focus on one farm's hops and we tell the story through our social media. We tell the story over the bar. And so, yeah, for me, a lot of it's the storytelling aspect. Um, and, and the storytelling comes from going and building those relationships, you know, where Steve's going back and forth over the past. I'm building Alaska Miles, uh, going back between Austin and Seattle, uh, you know, in the months of August and September. Um, my, my wife sees me probably less than I see Zach some Septembers. Um, but it's uh, it's something that I that I really love. And, you know, you know, honestly, I call some of the, you know, a lot of those farmers friends at this point, you know, we just text back and forth and talk about what we're up to. And uh, yeah, so it, it's really fun to bring that story to, uh, to Austin and to, you know, our, our little area in Texas and get to brew these beers. And, and really, it, it takes me back when I get to brew them to those times I spend, like you said, going and grabbing that buy. And I, you know, I got memories of going with Zach out to Jason's uh, Peralts and, you know, we're, we're putting a bind him and I are, I don't know why he let us, but we're like fishing binds through the little wolf picker, you know, and, and grabbing those cones and driving them back to his brewery. So, you know, when I get to taste these beers that I brew back here, it, it takes me back there. It's a sense of place. And, um, so I love it. You know, that's, that's the part I love the most is it, it really roots you and it, it gives you a sense of place and it, it continues to reiterate how, important the agricultural aspect of brewing is there is something to this idea of a beer being limited without it having to be precious you know and i think that that's one of those fun things about fresh hops where you can make beers that are more limited but also more precious through barrel aging or you know something along those lines um and that become uh, harder to buy and harder to, you know like whereas this is one of those beers that you're it's limited but it's not precious you know it's something that you can drink in these kinds of quantities and enjoy lots of, um, but after a certain point, it's not going to be there anymore. Although now, and we will talk about this later in the podcast, there are new techniques that, that you guys are employing because we're drinking fresh hop beers right now. As we do the podcast, you guys planned and prepped and uh, actually uh, using some uh, modern products for these, whether, uh, and we can talk about that again later. Um, you uh, both single Hill and pint house have brewed uh, fresh hop beers, uh, for all of us to drink and timed it so that they could uh, ship out. I mean, we'll talk about some of those techniques that you're using to time shift the idea of fresh hop beer. But I, but I also want to talk about flavor. You know, I think that that flavor of fresh hop beer is something, you know, that also feels a little different, especially, you know, mo almost all of your fresh hop beers are going to be in the IPA or pale ale kind of, you know, family or category just because those styles are going to, uh, or maybe even West Coast Pilsner, which is whatever this extension of, of, you know, we won't get into that. Nonetheless, like it's going to be in somewhere in this family because that's going to allow that hop character, you know, to really come forward. But the fresh hops that you use have some distinct character, you know, to them and a, you know, some kind of flavor commonality that is driven by that, uh, you know, that fresh hop, uh, you know, element. Talk to me about 
you know, how you think about those flavors, Steve, like, you know, when you think about the fresh hops that you use and how you build beers around, you know, how do you think about those flavors? Um, and how do you think about, uh, you know, uh, designing beers that are going to amplify these flavors that you really love about fresh hop beers? Yeah. I mean, I think like I find myself talking a lot about just like the textural component of like the, the chew, like the leafiness. There's there's so much chlorophyll contact with work while we're making these beers that it's just inevitable that you're going to pick up, you know, some like vegetal component. And then really like where the skill level uh, is kind of pushed is like, how do you how do you get it to that line of like, I can blindly tell that this is a fresh up because of this like leafy, grassy, chewy component to it while not making that you know, off-putting in, in any way, you know? So it's it's kind of a fine line. Um, and as we kind of talk about some of these newer products, they certainly certainly start to kind of help you. It's a, it's a whole new, you know, thing to figure out, but they kind of do elevate our game at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, for the, for the most part, you know, I, I'm looking more for this like textual component. You know, purists back, Back in the day, like a, a fresh hop beer had to be only, only fresh hops, only wet hops. And like, that was it. And I think, you know, like most craft brewers, no one likes, no one likes rules here. So, uh, you know, if, if ultimately you can make the beer better by, by adding something here, adding something there, um, you can't just kind of, uh, make a rule that's going to, uh, have your, have, have your beer have a low ceiling. So, um, kind of like little tips and tricks you know i i think still every year like trying just to really uh dial in bitterness on the beers is kind of like my biggest challenge because it's just such an unknown uh no one knows you know what our utilization is going to be at what edition and it's not like there's some white paper out there that sierra nevada has put together that i'm aware of uh that at least kind of tells me what how I can kind of dial in like what BUs I actually have going up. Joe, Zach, how do you guys think about the flavor of fresh hot beers? Well, I think going back to what you were saying about them being like not precious, but special. Um, it, for me, it's a, this ephemeral quality of them. You know, they're here, then they're gone. And like every recipe we create is going to be only relevant in that one moment. Like we're not going to do it again the same way. It's, it's impossible. Um, from like a logistics point to like have everything line up like the way it did this year. And then also the hops are going to taste different the next time, you know, when we're brewing with well-processed T90s, like there's a lot of homogenization that goes on you have a lot of consistency and like the entire supply chain is oriented towards consistency and replication. And this is a time of year to make a beer that, um, tastes like the day you went out to find stuff. <laughs> and like, that's really the way that we make our, our fresh hop recipes. There might be some varietal um, like intention behind the plan for the day. Like we want to go find these two varieties. Um, but often the, that even changes in the moment, depending on conditions on the ground, you know, what we find or where we stop. Um, a lot of our recipes have more to do with who we're working with uh, at the farm, like we want to work with, and then who we're bringing in to collaborate and what they kind of want to do for the day. And then that forms the flavor. We can't reproduce them. Exactly. You know, we could put the same name on it, which we do from kind, time to time. But each year is a vintage. I mean, they're not trying to be precious like wine, but like really it is kind of a vintage sort of thing. That's the direction we take. How about you, Joe, for flavor? 
Yeah, I think for us, you know, it's interesting, again, being a little more removed from the valley, like we, we try to, we try to get up there, we got some, you know, we've had some fun stories where, um, you know, we'll, we would, actually, my favorite is we went and we just bought a bell at, well, we didn't buy, I mean, this goes back to Steve's point about like, no one really knew how to charge you for it. But we got a bell of uh, mosaic from, from Jason a while back, I mean, years ago, and you know, we put it in the minivan and uh, we drove it back to Yakima and we cut it up and we shipped it overnight to Austin and we brewed with it. And, you know, that was like, we really were excited about that particular, you know, lot on the, we saw the two days earlier on the, you know, drying room floor and we're like, uh, we want some of that. Like we want that, we want to be able to brew a beer with that and remind ourselves. So I think the flavor for us is, you know, to Zach's point too, it's a sense of place. Uh, I think it's telling, it goes back to telling that story. Like we want to bring people along on our journey and how we find these things. Um, we've had to be a lot more creative over the years on how to get that, you know, like not being able to, you know, necessarily run down the road or um, jump over the pass. So we, you know, we've, we've been creative and we've found ways to get the hops back to Austin and, and, you know, provide that flavor for people. Um, I think it's evolved for us a lot too, though over the last uh, couple of years, especially with some of the new hot products. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of creating a sense of place of like, what is hop harvest versus a specific farm. And some of that is, you know, derived from some of the, the newer um, hop products, but some of that stuff, like, you know, you, you were um, mentioning uh, Steve and I both um, actually the way we connected was, was through the world beer cup where we were uh, meddled in um, fresh hop and, we both did fresh frozen that year because you know world beer cup is spring so how do you have a fresh hop in spring and what we were doing for years was we would get fresh hops we'd we'd uh have them overnighted and we would vacuum seal them all and freeze them and we would brew with them you know throughout the year so we could make uh fresh hops like when we when we wanted to and uh and then i found out steve did that too and that was pretty cool and then so we went and brewed a beer together which was the first time we brewed together which was really fun um, but you know, it, it kind of like extended that, that memory, you know, and, but yeah, it's, you know, for us, it, it, the, the flavor aspect is really like trying to place us in that field, rubbing those cones. Um, it's very visceral. I think T- Steve used the word textural. Like it's, uh, I think it's all of that, you know, it's, it's really a sense of place. Uh, I think it's, it's more than just you're drinking a beer. You're really experiencing that beer. Sure, sure. Let's let's talk about uh, hop varieties then, <clears throat> and we can again we'll we'll go and talk about some of the newer you know products and technologies. I think down the road, but I'm curious about this. You know, when when I think about it, when I think about fresh hop beers, I think about those kinds of you know soft like there's a softness as well as a pungency in, in the the flavor itself that they feel you know whereas a, a T90 pellet might you know, have some like, uh, you know, more aggression in the way that it expresses, you know, when I think about fresh hop beers, I always think about this kind of, you know, it's, they're like genteel, you know, there's just this kind of, you know, beautiful refinement and a, maybe, you know, a slight distance to them, but, you know, but everything feels rounded and, uh, you know, and soft. Are there, um, you know, specific varieties that you all find yourselves leaning on, because they express well and they express with this kind of fresh hop polish that you're looking for, you know, and then the flip side of that, are there some where, you know, some varieties where 
you've tried them and maybe it's harder to get the kind of expression that you're looking for out of a fresh hop beer for whatever reason. Um, not to be negative about individual hops, but I'm curious if you focus your fresh hop use in some certain varietal ways. I think in general, you know, most most IPA hops are kind of still those varieties that that we're kind of leaning towards when we when we make those beers. Um, there hasn't really been a variety that I've had where it's like, wow, this is this is surprise surprisingly this wet hop triumph ipa not to shit on triumph but like you know we're not putting in ipas so uh we've all tried and it wasn't like oh you know what this works and this version and you know not the other um but i think conversely you can still be surprised by some i mean like i find myself gravitating towards more classic varieties um that are being picked especially now now that acreage is down i guess except for cascade which i heard they're trying to plant more of all of a sudden but um you know kind of just because slight slightly down steve slight slightly eight percent down down. i mean that's it's you know yeah tiny bit but like it's a much smaller dip than we saw you know in the late 2000s um you know and so i think we all have to keep this you know, frame of reference, like, you know, we're used to all things going up. This is not the first time that hops acreage has taken a pretty significant dip. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the industry has been able to recover and everything is, is going to fine and, you know, be okay. Nonetheless, sorry. I Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's only lasted for <laughs> uh, four to five generations. Yes. Yeah. That poor sixth, seventh generation. In the United States. In the United States. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, I don't, like that 2009, 2010, like, I mean, it took a bigger, a bigger, you know, acreage drop and a far bigger percentage drop in terms of overall acres, you know, being harvested. So we're going to be okay on this one. Yeah, totally. Totally. But yeah, like, I don't know those, those varieties, uh, I think since one, one positive I've seen, and we don't really plan around we kind of like know when our windows for varieties are but we always try to have a few tanks on for flyers of hops like you know i've still never used idaho 7 i've still never used uh equinot you know i'm hoping for maybe some vista this year or 1320 you know if it if it kind of if it lines up with when i'm in yakima kind of a thing is kind of more on where we're going there but the fact that uh you know seattle drinkers Northwest drinkers are so uh, in tune with fresh hop beers and wet hop beers that, you know, even if we make a, an IPA with Cascade or we make an IPA with Crystal or, uh, you know, Nugget, they're going to be consuming it. And it almost reintroduces those people to varieties that are very flashy and still have a really interesting unique character it's like a it's like a way to remind people that you know other hops still exist joe how about you what are are there some varieties that you lean on uh you know because it's expensive for you to get them down there you need those beers to work it's a little harder just to you know to kind of just be purely experimental about it yeah so for us um i mean i think from a wet perspective you know we're getting them unkilned whether that's just overnighted down here or you know the iq at 301 products um, mosaic is definitely our our horse we're, we're we think that one has the kind of the most punch um I, you know if you 
look at the beers that we've been recognized for in that category, it's uh, Mosaic has been the driver in all of those, which I think, you know, also kind of reiterates that. Um, we also do a lot of fresh dried. So we'll, um, while we're out there, we might find something that we really like and we'll send that back like overnight and try to brew it that right away. Um, Amarillo's one that I absolutely love uh, in, a, in a fresh dried. It's when you get a really nice lot. Um, Chinook, I think Chinook is one that, that, you know, Steve talked about Cascade. I think Chinook is one that people sleep on sometimes. We use a lot of Chinook. Absolutely love that hop. Um, I, I think, it, in, you know, when you get that really fresh, it's it's just so bright. It almost, like, has this, like, amazing kind of, like, piney grapefruit, you know, just, yeah, it's it's delicious. So, um, yeah, I, you know, if I was to list just even two, you know, Mosaic and Chinook are probably the ones that we use the most of, but, um, we use a, we use a lot of Simcoe, um, a little bit of Citra. That's probably the one we use the least in fresh hops. We just feel like it, or in wet hops, it feel like it doesn't quite punch at the same weight that, uh, some others do, but, um, you know, people use it with great success. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's certainly, uh, a great hop. It's not one, the, uh, I'd say you're still going to great, get great results, but, um, yeah, Mosaic and Chinook are our two favorites probably in that, Fresh, wet, and fresh, dry. Zach, you brew a bunch of these and throw them up in your rodeo where, uh, you know, even the folks in your tap room get to vote on their favorites. And so, you know, you you get to do a lot of, uh, you know, instant market research on those things that that connect with folks. You know, from that perspective, you know, whether it's crowd favorites or whether it's favorites of you or your brewers, you know, are there – are there some you know specific hops that you find work really really well in that kind of fresh and wet area? Um, yeah, a couple of things that have surprised us over the years are um, cashmere in particular as like a fresh dried uh, could just be really wonderful. I mean, if you have to find it at the right time, and there's I would say a decent amount of variability in cashmere, but that's been really nice for us. We're usually using that as fresh dried and sabro as well as a Wet sabro or fresh dried sabro can be. It has it has the most flavor and character that you can find at that really really early point in harvest. The other things you're going to find at that point are um, centennial, early mid late, kind of when like the whole centennial range when uh, sabro is coming off and uh, some early simcoe. So and cascade probably early cascade. So having some sabro available can really add some complexity. As long as you don't lean on it too hard, because you know it is kind of, be, it can be really nice. It can also be really too much. Um, but that's that's a, those two are nice ones that we we do work in and we do rely on to add a little bit of a complexity and diversity to the hop profiles we make. Otherwise, like on the wet side, because we use wet obviously a lot and in the hop back, and then we use a lot of fresh dried, exclusively fresh dried for dry hops. Um, but on the wet side, we're typically relying on some of the, you know, the big main varieties that are reliable, consistent. You can go out and find a good, a good lot of it on the day when we need it. I want to to ask you all about you know fresh dried, you know, and what that actually what it means first. I know what you mean, but I want you to explain a little bit of that, and then I also want to dive into how what the difference is between say a fresh dried baled hop and then, or a fresh dried whole cone hop that you're then making pellets out of for your dry hop. Um, 
you know, or, you know, versus some sort of, you know, pelletized and then you know, uh, hop that you might then get months later uh, and what that kind of age means. Before we talk about that, take your bring to the next level with AccuBrew's revolutionary fermentation monitoring system. Now predicting specific gravity, AccuBrew's mobile app and stainless steel sensor work together to send you live data from inside your tanks, including predicted gravity, fermentation activity, clarity, and temperature. Unlike other fermentation monitoring systems, AccuBrew is CIP ready and designed to stay out of your way, saving you time and space. Their set it and forget it solution streamlines systems and processes, helps maintain consistency and detect problems before they ruin a batch. Join the AccuBrew community today and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Also, brewing is currently one of the most innovative, adaptive, and fast-paced industries in the world. With consumer demand shifting to the latest and greatest trend, it can be difficult for production teams to keep up with requirements. The ProFill series of rotary can fillers from ProBrew are accelerating plant production everywhere. These can fillers run at speeds of 100 to 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. And Tabski QR code ordering is the future of brewery ordering. With Tabski, your customers can order and pay for their beers right from their phones by scanning a QR code on the table. Get rid of lengthy lines and increase check size by up to 30%. Tabski is free for operators and integrates seamlessly with popular payment systems like Clover and Square. So why not join the future of brewery ordering and give Tabski a try? Learn how you can get started today at Tabski, T-A-B-S-K-I. Dot com. So let's talk about, uh, you know, fresh dried. You know, that's a term you use. I think it's not a, a common term necessarily out there in the industry. Um, but I'm curious about this. It, it seems to track with other things, you know, other conversations brewers are having about using, obviously, freshly milled grain, freshly uh, roasted dark malts, um, you know, versus dark malts that have been sitting for six months at a time, um, freshly grinding herbs before using them in a beer. And it seems to track with exactly the way the chefs think about these things that there is and can be, you know, both ben- benefits, you know, in some some spaces for using this fresh dried hop um, talk to me about what it is about that fresh dried, say, you know, as you were talking about Idaho seven versus a, uh, you know, pelletized and, you know, Idaho seven that might be six months old or, you know, using a, you know, fresh dried hop Zach that you're, you're pulling in cones and then making your own pellets out of and how that differs in your dry hop versus using traditional pellets. Well, I think we've taken this to the dream like more than the other guys um but really anyone else out there probably just because of our our access um we since we started making fresh ops we were just kind of dabbling with what happens if we were what would happen if we took phones from the cooling room floor back and then first it was shredding them and then shoved them in a tank which is really difficult to do hard to get them in there i'm not sure what joe's doing for your method these days but i know there's some like weed whackers and uh recirculation tanks involved we, we, sometimes yeah um, we kind of gotten away from all that but we yeah we have done the liquid we've done the nitrogen so we freeze them and then 
uh, like huge immersion blender kind of things. Um, honestly, got like too chlorophyll driven. Um, but yeah, I mean, we use a lot of our fresh dry. We just do whole cone. We don't we don't try to shred them. We just I think we look for that kind of like yeah that little bit of a uh, extra layer, you know. Um, but yeah, we we've tried a lot of funny techniques when you look back in hindsight. Uh, when we did it, it, it seemed like it was the coolest thing ever. Like, you know, it's also really fun to play around, you know, nitrogen and makes for a good show, but are, are you making fun of Oregon right now? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, Not all of Oregon. <laughs> uh, we did. I think that was, yeah. The last time we but, did that was probably five or six years ago. But it was, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. So we've settled on, we bought a pellet mill a couple of years ago. So we use that for pelletizing all the fresh dry that we bring in because then we can use them basically like regular pellets. In terms of like the character and what's different, I can't necessarily say specifically, but we feel like we like it better. And we're also doing it because we've just sort of decided dogmatically it would be more fun if we only use tops from the current crop year to make it entirely a fresh hop beer. Um, And like... If we weren't in Yakima, like we probably wouldn't have invented that rule for ourselves because it would be ridiculously complicated, hard to do. But because we're here, it just kind of makes the whole thing a bit more fun and like adds to the challenge. I feel like brewers uh, generally like constraints. Like the Ryan's boat is all about constraint. It's about having three things to make beer out of. So we just invented our own constraint around having to use fresh dried hops if we want to dry hop with a pellet if we want to dry up with something that's not a wet cone. And, you know, we found in the early years that we didn't really, and I, I've been making fresh hop beers before, single mill too, but I just don't really enjoy the flavor of a wet cone in a fermentation, a wet cone in a dry hop. Um, it gets too green, too chlorophyll-y. Um, it's, a, it's a really good way to also like impact the shelf life of a beer. So uh, we just don't do that here. So in order to continue to make, beers we really like and add a lot of character like we need to put something in for a dry hop and uh, pellets are the way to do that fresh dried is the way to do that so for us because we can really i mean that's what it comes down to uh we like to use a lot of fresh dried and we also think it makes some unique flavors but i couldn't say specifically like what those are there's probably a little more intensity a little maybe a little more character but a really well processed t90 pellet from the last harvest like could be you know nearly identical How's that fall for you, Steve? Well, I'm curious, like Zach, have you have you stored any of those pellets, those fresh killed pellets from your mill, like you know, nitro vacuum sealed bags? Like, how do those hold up in three months, six months time? We have stored them, and they're fine. Um, the the way we're pelletizing, we get we do get really good quality. The the main difference is, I think, is we see a coarser grind and a bit wetter pellet because they haven't really like the the bale. They didn't sit in a bale and kind of equalize. So we end up with very coarse, fluffy pellets and we throw them in the freezer and then we take them out. There's like more of a block instead of like flowable uh, thing of pellets. But we don't do that too much. Usually by the end of harvest, we're like completely cashed out and exhausted and like all the rest of the hops go into whatever the last beer is. And um, so we don't have a lot of carryover typically, but we have a backup freezer this year. So we might have some carryover. A hop freezer is the best thing that you can invest in. <laughs> we got a big one at this point. Um, now, is Zach, I was thinking about walk in? Was, how, how many bodies fit in your freezer, Joe? Oh, it's a lot. I mean, I think we can get like, it's like 
48 pallets if you stack them right and stuff. So in your freezer, well, yeah, because we like to cold chain ship hops down. I mean, it's hot here, and so like we like to take a big truck at a time, and then we can like stuff our our freezer and store them. You know, it's I think that's one of the things that we've like it, it, you know it's an investment in that quality aspect of uh, making sure that we can bring all those in, store them for you know not not talking fresh hops right now, but just talking even our, our pellets and cryo and all the other products that we buy. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it, it it's a lot. But uh, Zach, I was gonna say, I remember we we did that um, you know part of your uh, your rodeo one year, and we we ground up all those hops and we we're trying to shove them in the top of the the tank. Um, or maybe it wasn't the rodeo, but yeah, it was, I mean, we were like, there's, there's some pretty funny photos where we yeah. on the ladder, like literally the just paddle pushing them, them in. in. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the pellets are a lot like nicer. Guy, yeah. Trying to get them up. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, what's your dry hopping on these look like? Do you, uh, you know, are you pulling in dry, uh, fresh dried hops and your dry hops for fresh hop beers? Uh, I mean, typically we don't have access to to those um i mean other than like you know there's one there's one farm in yakima that you know kind of had fresh fresh pellets is a thing um is their thing and we we use those sometimes but uh it's a it's a pretty cool like it's a cool way to differentiate yourself that farm is fantastic that's roy farms um We'll go T90s and cryo. I mean, like kind of more of a typical dry hop, although now that now that like TR301s are out there, we'll be using those as a portion of our dry hop as well. Um, and I, I think that, you know, s- kind of what Zach mentioned too, once we kind of get into this talk of these newer products, um, that's, that's, you know, that's a wet, that's a wet cone pellet basically. Um, that, uh, oh, is this, Jamie, is this your, like, uh, sneaky segue into, into, like, new things right now, or? You're, you're doing it for me, Steve. I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, putting the work in. He's just gonna tease it until we're out of time, actually. Yeah, yeah. And we're up. We got plenty of time. Let's talk about 301 and, uh, IQF and some of these other, uh, evolving, you know, products. And Steve, why don't you just keep that conversation going? Because you started it. I yeah, sure. We'll keep it going. I mean, I almost feel like that these products were invented for Joe. Uh, <laughs> and then you know we. I'm going to we... pour myself some of your your beer now, <laughs> Joe. Just uh, you know, uh, just so, so I, I'm making sure I'm referencing these correctly. But yeah, I guess like I guess to kind of take one a half step back, you know, the last five years. As as fresh wet hop beers has uh, become more and more popular, and their kind of their range has, you know, left the Northwest and and have been brewed all over the country, you know, fairly quickly, hop uh, farms and brokers realized that it was really hard to ship wet hops, you know, overnight somewhere uh, via traditional methods. So, um. There's been a lot of like fun, creative, some better than others, you know, development. It's like, how do we get wet hops to Texas? How do we get wet hops to Georgia? You know, and, and like, how are they still okay enough to brew with, you know, when they kind of get there? So, 
Um, it's kind of all roads lead to the freezer. And uh, yeah, the, the IQF little chain. Um, I mean, Zach, you probably you probably heard uh, whispers before I did as far as, you know, like throwing fresh picked unkilned wet hops through an IQF freezing belt. And then, you know, a few years later, all of a sudden those those frozen wet whole cones were being pelletized into 301s. So, yeah, the IQF hops isn't particularly new in terms of concept it's it's been around a long time and there's even like old old patents related to freezing hops instead of killing them um from i forget what the years of when i was looking at uh, up some of this stuff while i was at ych um as an alternative to killing but uh i think in the past some processors had tried to do iqf hops and they just didn't find a market or they didn't find enough anchor customers for it so the, while it worked um, they didn't end up turning into a product line. And that's kind of what YCH is at least reasonably successfully done now by like running hops through IQF line, which stands for individually quick frozen, which is the same process that blueberries run through or raspberries or strawberries that you go buy in your bag at Costco or something. Um, the line is identical. So they're just running hops through it and packaging them off. And that, that, that works in Yakima because a lot of those, a lot of other fruits that are IQF processed, are also grown in Yakima, sure. and so as long as the timing works out, you can uh, use some of the same equipment without having to to, to buy new stuff. Joe, yeah, there's at least about, a few here, yeah. <laughs> just a couple. You know, Joe, for you, uh, you know, using fresh hops and using wet hops, or now IQF and 301 trial, which is basically a pelletized version of IQF hops. Uh, you it's know, a cryo, does... it's a cryo process oh, version, actually. Cryo pro- Okay. So the 301 is they're taking IQF hops. So they're already frozen and they're running them through the cryo line. This is also YCH products. And so the cryo line shatters the cone, separates it, and then repelletizes it. So you couldn't pelletize it if it was just a frozen cone. Um, I think you can barely do it as the cryo because it's just so wet. The moisture content is 70% instead of 10. And uh, it kind of turns, melts into Play Doh, the 301 does. Um, even at that moisture content, you know. So yeah, sorry to clarify there and interrupt, but when it comes to using them, Joe, how uh, you know how has using these worked out for you, especially uh, grabbing them remotely and having them shipped down to Texas? It's great. Um, you know, I think we were we were honestly one of the kind of out of market test subjects for this early on because you know, we do uh, use a lot of of fresh hop and wet hop. And, um, so what I love about it too, is I, you know, I, one of the hard things about bringing a wet hop into Texas is, yeah, you put it on an airplane, it's overnighted down here. There's a pretty big carbon footprint around that. And so, although this isn't like a small carbon footprint, it's definitely smaller. And I know YCH is doing a lot of studies on the carbon footprint of getting these hops out to brewers. And, um, there, you know, that's one thing that, you know, for me, I, I care a lot about it, that we can get this in a little bit more uh, efficient way and we're not putting quite as much impact on the environment just to make a hot, uh, beer that I want to make. You know, I'm not completely selfish in that way. Um, but for what it, what it's done for us is, you know, we've used a lot of different products. Uh, the, so the beer that I sent you all, Layers of Flavor, it's a West Coast Pills. Uh, you know, thank Thank Bob down in uh, Highland for the the future of uh, what is IPA. Uh, it's called West Coast Pills. 
it's uh we're we found that we can use now all these hot products in different places so you know this beer is uh pellet through the the kettle it's um whole leaf dried in the hot back and in the mash it's um actually has some iqf in the in the hot back as well which is the whole cone version of it that we've had in our freezer uh, it's got some T90, it's got some cryo, it's got some 301 in the dry hop. So we can create all these layers of flavor, hence the name, from all these different products. And I think it just, it gives us another tool in the toolbox. And that's the thing that I love as a brewer is it's not a CO2 extract. It's not a flowable. I think those are great too. But this, it def- it's not uh, changing the aromatics or the flavor in you know, we still know what farm this came off of and it, it still gives you a sense of place and it gives you this character and that, uh, you know, for us in Texas, I, like when we were getting overnighted, they didn't come in as good as the IQ up do. You know, they were starting to brown a little bit. Like these are coming in. They smell just like I smelled them uh, in a, well, pre-kill, you know, like it's, it's amazing. And, you know, that's, you like these guys, they're they're fortunate enough to go pick them, and, and I, I've done some runs with both these guys, and you see how fast hops degrade when you grab them from the farm and drive them back when they're wet, and so this IQF process, I think is it's really cool that you know they can get that in there, and then they can cold chain ship it down to me, and I can brew a beer with you know it's not a hundred percent, it's we're using it at twenty or thirty percent, you know we're just giving it that character is trying to drive home some of that really fresh hop character that we love um, and still make it really drinkable. Because at the end of the day, we want something that, you know, you can drink a pint of, multiple pints of. You know, I think we kind of spoke to it earlier, but some of the the things about early fresh hops, I remember drinking them 15 years ago. Um, it was like, okay, grab 500 pounds of wet hop, put them in a mash tun, run a beer through it, uh, it was kind of undrinkable. I mean, it was cool, but like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, we did it at Odell, too, Steve. Like, we we suffered through the same thing. Like, we we all told ourselves it was really delicious. Uh, we drank four ounces of it, and then we all like we're like, yeah, this is this is delicious, right? Yeah, and it's really good. Um, but I think we're getting more refined with that process now. Well, talk to me about that because now you're using multiple forms of fresh and wet hops or fresh frozen and reconstituted hops, as well as these pelletized cryo fresh hops. Yeah, but I think, you know, if you're talking about it within a competition setting or even within a consumer setting, you know, people drinking these, when you market it as a fresh hop beer, they know, they have some expectation for what they're going to experience in terms of flavor. And they, you know, they want that. And if it were just like a heavily citra, you know, dry hopped with, you know, last harvest T90s. And it just came across as this very similar beer to the others that you've made. They wouldn't believe it as a fresh hop beer. And so you were also having to tell a flavor story that connects with what people's idea of fresh hop is. And that in some ways, both, connects with that assumption that they have, but also moves it forward and shows them that it it can be more than just that. How then do you balance all of these you know, for, uh, formats, 
and ingredients in a way that allows for some of that fresh hop character to convey and, you know, and, you know, sell the idea of fresh hop in that. Well, I'm going to say first off, uh, competition, I don't know if it's going to matter anymore because they dropped it from GABF this year. Um, it's because so early. Yeah, but, I mean, we have fresh hops. I know. Yeah, I think it's too bad they dropped that. I was hoping it would just they would announce that later. I don't know if that's real. And, and they used to do like that a couple of times. They did like a later separate session too. Yeah. Well, uh, tricks. Um, that was the one you GBF took. Judging is also at, like GBF judging is also like peak of harvest. Like working to invite people to come make fresh hops and like actually I'm going to be judging beer. Like well, that's an awful week to not be in Yakima. Come on, guys. I I but had to that's change commentary for the BA. No, no, I had to change my judging like sessions to be like to revert back and overlap over a weekend so I can still get fresh ops the week before and the week after. And it's like, why? But, but no, Jamie, like the, uh, I mean, I, I guess this is kind of answering your question. The, the 301s, I think, you know, I think Zach, you got your hands on them first around here and I think you dropped off the beer and it was like two days old and I cracked a can as soon as I realized it was in our cooler smelled it and like if I didn't know what you had used I would have been like furious and be like how did you like literally like take the the cooling room floor aroma and throw it into a beer and like have it like instant you know back to kind of Joe's like memory of a place it was like you're like this smells exactly like a cooling room floor. I have no idea how this happened, um, and so like there, there is. I mean, not most beer drinkers don't know they they haven't been to a hop farm. They don't, you know, they can only kind of really imagine like what a hop farm smells like. You know, through the picker, through the cooling floor, through a kiln. Uh, yeah, I have your text. It says, "Well, smells like a fresh shop." So there's that. Uh, <laughs> Yes, I mean because that was brewed off season, right? That was like what a March. Yeah, beer it was like or... February, March or something. Yeah. yeah, and that was like a let's go all in and try this product, try it out and see what what we can do with it using trying to come up with equivalent T ninety rates and stuff. But it yeah, also it's it's, it's it's faded so fast, like I mean it dropped off so hard that within a couple of weeks it's just like, oh, you know, it, 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 you're kind of you're playing with fire when you take something that is so fragile then make it available like year round. And, and I think when we, when I personally started hearing about IQF and the 301s, like, I think it's really exciting and I'm, and I'm, I'm using those products year round now too, but I was worried about the concern of, uh, you know, of, of not precious, but special like nature of, of harvest, you know, if something is available year round, inherently that's less special right so um and we kind of took the most seasonal beer style in existence and we we now can kind of do something quite similar throughout and you kind of lose a little bit of a connection when there's more processes added to a product as well so um I, yeah. but uh, yeah, overall I with that. net positive i think it's just one of those things that you know you, you're still thinking about it you know there's there's pros and cons yeah for us like we we revisit fresh hop beer in the off season like maybe once or twice a year so we we brewed a beer for this we did one earlier this year 
around like January or February, once people are kind of ready to maybe try a fresh hop again. But we've also been kind of nervous about think devaluing the seasonality and the fresh the the season yeah seasonality ephemerality of it. Um, and there's a bit of a communication like challenge with customers sometimes too. Uh, maybe more for us than Steve, where our our beer might. I think you sell a lot over your bar more than we do, like even uh, can to go stuff, but we might have cans out there that might've gotten a little bit old and we don't want people to question whether it's like a fresh up from September or a fresh up that we actually made, you know, two weeks ago in January with these frozen fresh hops. Um, and it can just be kind of confusing for people for a little while. And so people figure out that it's fresh frozen, <laughs> even this latest beer, we decided to not put fresh, frozen on it just to like not make it i don't know if that makes it less confusing or more confusing like the whole point is it's supposed to be available in september and october but uh we are making things totally out of season in this way it's like the october fest that comes out in august <laughs> yeah but i mean joe to your point like the quality of the uh iqf frozen fresh hops is really really high like um when we're going to farms and Steve, you probably experience this more than we do because you have a bit more of a drive. Like you have to like be careful just in how you bag up your wet hops. And, you know, if you're picking up hops in the afternoon, it's a different situation than in the morning because there's a lot of heat in the cones and like making sure they're not dense and you're fluffing them up. And as soon as you're getting them back, uh, trying to put them in your cooler in a way where they might cool down overnight and they don't like build up even more heat so they don't degrade overnight and use them. You don't have any of that with the IQF stuff there extremely well preserved it's pretty impressive and joe, I wanna, uh, also yeah. expensive <laughs> yeah joe when it gets back to, to this question of how you balance these especially when you're using them in a brew in all of these different formats and i want you to address that but before we do oh you like wildly aromatic ipas and tropical lagers good thing omega designed thialized yeast for just that reason Thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega Yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one-week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. Also, keep your brewery running smoothly with five-star chemicals. Their cleaning solutions are specifically formulated to meet the unique needs of breweries, ensuring that your equipment stays clean and free of harmful bacteria and contaminants. From cleaning fermenters to kegs, they have a solution for every step of the brewing process. Use five-star chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of brewing and the installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. So Joe, let's talk about that. You know, you know when it gets down to, to the actual brewing process, um, you know, as you're thinking about how to blend all of the you know, hops in all of these different formats, you know, to still capture that kind of fresh hop character, but also cap capture these, you know, beautiful elements that each of these different formats provide. You know, how do you, how do you devise, a, you know, a hop uh, bill for a beer like this? Well, you know, it's, I think it depends on what we're setting out to brew initially. Um, you know, we tend to be uh, in that 
IPA realm most of the time. Um, and we're a bit unique. Uh, we use we use a, a coal strain um, for our house yeast, but we've actually been doing a lot with lager, lager yeast for these beers because I think there's a sulfur lift that helps a lot with some of the natural... I think there's like some sulfur components that come off of the, the wet hop, um, the cones or the IQF at 301 or whatever, you know, like I think there's, there's clearly a hop sulfur. And I think when you get that lift off of like a, like our yeast German ale or like, um, you know, 3470, I think it just elevates all of that. Um, so when we're constructing these recipes, uh, we tend to, we tend to like, um, to bring in either the true wet hop or the true fresh dried into the mash, into the hop back. It's pretty traditional. It's easy. I mean, we're, we have four brew houses, but they're all like basic pub systems. And so we don't have a lot of opportunity to get super creative uh, where we add them. So the, the mash is kind of always there. Um, and then, you know, we clear out the, the mash lauder ton afterwards uh, we throw a bunch back in and, you know, we, uh, run the, off the whirlpool through that. Um, with the 301, what we found is, you know, there's a lot of talk about multiple dry hops. We, we find that the 301, uh, works really well with two dry hops in the second dry hop, especially when we're working with the yeast that we do. Uh, so we will tend to go in with, uh, you know, like our traditional T90 or a cryo pellet um, in the first dry hop. And then two days later, we'll jump in with um, the 301 pellets. Uh, we might also, you know, put in a, another hop in a T90 form or a cryo form. So, um, and sometimes we'll use that, like the, the beer you're drinking has just a just a kiss in Nelson uh, from this 2023 uh, harvest for freestyle. Um, mix in with the Simcoe Citrid Mosaic uh, 301. Um, but yeah, it seems to like it doesn't, we're not getting kind of that transformative effect. We're not trying to get it in super early. We're just trying to use it uh, a little bit later in that process. Um, but in, you know, we, we tend to separate the bulk of our uh, T90 and then, uh, or cryo of the dried and then bring in the 301. With these beers, like, are you like the one we're drinking now? That's the West Coast Bills with some contribution of three hundred one and a little bit of IQF. Like, are you marketing it like very clearly as a fresh up, or how do you how do you discuss it with customers? And yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we we try to tell the whole story, right? We're not trying to. We definitely never try to like do people on the saying like, "Hey, we're doing this fresh up," and you know, we we're trying to say like, "Hey, this is this new thing." Like we're trying to tell YCH's story on what the 301 process is, uh, what the IQF process is. Uh, we, I think, layers of favor, layers of flavor. We just market as a West Coast Pills brewed with IQF uh, 301 hops. And then you know, if you get on our social media, you can read the whole story. But like when you look at a placard in our on our tap wall, you know, we're not trying yeah. to say it's like a fresh hop beer necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, I think this becomes the biggest thing. And I think, you know, you listen to all the podcasts Jamie's have done, Jamie's done over the last uh, five years and we struggle as craft brewers trying to define these beers that we're making. Right. And we, uh, you know, I think Zach, you said it with the Rihanna's Gabbat, you know, it's like, 
we we want to compartmentalize stuff, but like we live in this very post-structural world, and you know what really is uh, what we're brewing is so outside of what we can define marketing-wise, and so um, yeah, we we definitely don't want to try to trick consumers, um, but we want to utilize these tools, and so we we try to be very upfront with it, and and you know, I I've said before if, if you get the three hundred one product. I would move the 301 product into one of our, our core beers uh, if we could, you know, get it with consistency because I think it's so beautiful. You know, I think it, it provides this element that drives you back to the valley, drives you back to the farm. And, um, you know, so if we could put it into our electric jellyfish, I would be 100% in. So, Joe, do you charge more for a beer like this using 301 and IQF? Uh, only if we're using it at a higher rate, you know, if we're, so we kind of had tiers, um, I, you know, this is kind of in what is our, you know, experimental IPA tier range. So it's, it's like the same price as any other experimental IPA, uh, tier range. Cause I feel yeah, like that for, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like for you being outside, you know, the, the hot market, it's like, you know, we we charge more for our wet hot beers come season, and, and I mean, it, but the customer is seeing us on social media like, oh, look at the time. You know, we're using fifteen to twenty five pounds per barrel of hops compared to like six to seven total pounds per barrel of hops in a, in a non fresh hop beer. So it's like they can kind of compute. Granted, fresh hops, you know, cost cost less than, than palletized but like they're still you know anywhere from three to five dollars a pound for the most part so um let alone like the the extra long brew days it takes and, and everything kind of all the way through so i'm curious like uh, in, a, in an outside market who might not be aware that you're using more expensive things that like take a lot of like time and effort and money and process just to get them to you you know how do you let that let your drinkers know like, Hey, this is, this is special. And like, this also costs a lot more money. Yeah. I mean, I think I look at it as they're beers that are passion projects. They're super fun. We don't make a lot of them. You know, at the end of the day, we, we still outside of the normal fresh hop window, uh, which, you know, we'll probably do four or five typically. Um, that's kind of like our limit that we can pull off each year uh in that window we'll probably do two or three more maybe now with the 301 or iqf product and and we try to make a big deal about it you know um we we try to to really tell that story on social media or over the bar I mean, we're, we're very fortunate in that sense we have the bar we have the ability to hand the customer the beer and you know hopefully our, our bartenders are telling that story to the customer um but yeah we're not we're not trying to make a bunch of money off of it either. You know, like we're not losing money, but, um, you know, we put it in that experimental range and it's, that's actually where 301 has helped a lot is, you know, you think of the cost per pound and then it goes to cryo. It's like a very confusing math of like, it still just works out to use 50% of what T90 is and it, it kind of works out. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it kind of all it kind of all pencils out at the end of the day, and we, you know, we make a little bit of money, and we make a great beer, and I think we have a great story to tell to the consumer, and um, it works out in that way. What what I really want to get to is is you mentioned fermentation, 
being driven by you know, uh, you know being supported by lager yeast and this kind of sulfur supporting the structure of these hops here. I want to talk to all of you guys about your approach to fermentation on these beers um, and what are the similarities with, you know, typical hop-driven beers um, or some of the ways that you then choose to to push nuance in your fermentation to kind of capture some of this hop character. And obviously we know that, uh, you know, you're using a lot more lager yeast in this or, or calling this beer, which is clearly not a, a Pilsner Joe, uh, calling it a West Coast Pilsner um, you know, but, but, uh, Zach and, and Steve, how, how, you know, how does fermentation, you know, then align with your other hopping beers or, or take a, a different, uh, approach compared to those? Well, I, I mean, I know I'm pretty boring. I'm very boring with fermentation things. Cause we don't really experiment much. And, you know, we have a house use. I know Zach, I'm not going to speak for you, but I know you also have a house use. So I will say we, as far as like fresh hop beers, wet hop beers go, our fermentation is, uh, we treat it basically just like any other IPA we're doing every week. We've seen, we haven't used it enough to see if there's more dry hop creep potential with those 301s because there is more vegetative matter, you know, on, on killed, on processed, um, I feel like it's fifty percent of the time. We're like, "Wow, it's creeping more than it usually is," and or or we're surprised that it's not. Um, for our West Coast, you know, we'll do some vary some variations of fresh hop beers. So when we do our West Coast IPA, then yeah, we're we're doing kind of the, the same the same thing Joe's doing and Bob's doing, where it's thirty four seventy fermented, you know, slow ramp warm kind of a thing. Um, and and I I agree with those sentiments, but. Um, I'm, I'm like very, I'm like very boring as far as fermentation goes. I don't like to deviate. I know what I know. I'm a creature of habit. Yeah. We're, we're similar. Um, and also similar to Joe, cause Joe and I both kind of figured out how to make beer while we were at Odell. Uh, we use a German ale yeast and we've found that that German ale really works very, very well with fresh hops, um, to make a really well-rounded integrated beer and because it has a really really low propensity to create diacetyl um we just don't have to stress about it when we're really kind of our schedule is a little bit nutty because of fresh ops and we don't want to have to change it or risk creep or compromise because we're using every yeast strain like last year during the fresh op rodeos we let people bring their own yeast which we had always had offered, but nobody really took us up on it. And last year, a lot of people brought American Ale, um, Chico, Strains. And uh, so we got to see, we ended up, there was nine different fermentations done that way with like yeast from probably six different breweries brought their own yeast. At least here, you know, amongst our, you know, the brewers here and our people, like we really didn't prefer any of those to what we can make with the German Ale strain um a lot of it had to do with kind of not necessarily actually high diacetyl but like just this perceived very like sub threshold diacetyl level where it affects sweetness and kind of mouthfeel and body but doesn't really come off as the actual flavor of diacetyl but that just that diacetyl sense in there i mean that's our hunch on it we don't, we don't test anything for that um so we're pretty consistent on german ale when we do fresh hop beers and um we might do a couple with 3470 or 
a lot restrained this year, but for the most part, uh, German ale, standard fermentation schedules for us. Is there something about a body contribution of these fresh hops that somehow makes that, you know, because what you're talking about isn't necessarily like perceptible to acetyl, but it's going to be a, like a fullness or a, you know, extra body character, you know, that, that, that yeast might provide that, uh, you know, maybe you're getting in some other way and that may otherwise feel texturally overloaded. Um, you know, and I'm just, just That's possible when you're just like this. stacking the two on top of each other, like a fullness from the hops or the chewiness, plus like what you might get from a American ale Chico yeast. We're not very familiar with those strains and we're not good at managing dacil in them either. So like, I mean, there's that, like we made, we did those fermentations. Maybe they weren't the best they could have been because they were yeasts we didn't know as well. And we were also on a really tight schedule, so we couldn't. Yeah, anyway, but the the case is uh, the German ale strains work really well for fresh hop beers in our experience. And I think Joe also shows that um, in your case, it's similar fermentation profiles from what we've talked about. A hundred percent. Yeah, we, I mean, we clearly love that yeast. We use it in a lot of different beers. Um, I, I think to your question, Jamie, I think there absolutely is something about that. I think there is like a kind of a mid-palate heft that if you think of a lot of West Coast IPAs, and I think, you know, we think about how we've changed malts over the years and like just the construction of beers around like water profile and yeast. I think when you look at fresh hops, there is so much, uh, I don't know if oil is the right word, but there's so much mid-palate half stuff stuff in that mid-palate <laughs> that if you don't have a yeast that can give you kind of a, a, a sharpness or like a, a solid like clean break from it and i know steve doesn't use german ale but the yeast he does use has that you know and i think that's why his fresh hops are really nice um i think there is something to that you know like where you get uh, a clean character that allows the hops to fill that mid palate that the yeast isn't filling yeah, I think also along the same lines, when you're using a lot of really a lot of wet hops on the hot side, similar to when you use really large dry hop loads in your fermenters, like the pH is pretty strongly affected. It really raises from pulling in all the stuff, you know, from the vegetative matter from the the bract. And so we're pretty careful to make sure we start out with low pHs and that we acidify we we acidify our wort more than we would normally for fresh up beers in order to retain that balance throughout the beer and not have it get too kind of flabby or rotten or however you describe that Zach, what, mouth shield. What you, Zach, what are you what are you acidifying to? We go to about four eight, four nine on our work for fresh hops. We're still still close to five, four nine to five on fresh up wort. Um we typically change the acid though and uh, acidify with citric because it's just a little like sharper and brighter. And we've done some little bench top trials and found that that, that acidification helps eliminate some of the chlorophylly taste uh, pretty quickly. It attenuates it. Yeah. I, I remember what you were telling me about the citric uh, acid addition where that was like the first time I had heard that. And you, you can kind of taste it, but it works, it works well with, everything else that's like going on in that that beer 
Yeah, you don't want to overdo it because you can taste it. But but you can taste lactic acid too, you know. So it's it's yeah. kind of you know. Uh, no, I, I mean, like, I, I, I guess I'll step in and talk about the pH thing too, because we've noticed the exact same thing. Um, we modify, like, so our, our malt bills for fresh out beers will have more acidulated malts than the mash. Um, we don't really change our sparge acidification to any means, but we are adding more acidification, like, uh, adjustment to our whirlpool. Um, still mostly lactic acid, but, you know, when, when Zach kind of gave up the citric acid trick, we're kind of doing a, a little more of a blend now. So you can kind of say two-thirds lactic, one-third citric, just to kind of pop it down to 5-0. Yeah, we, we tend to we tend to use just more acidulated malt. We're big users of acidulated uh, from Wireman um, for everything. We, it goes into everything down here. We have pretty – I mean, our pH coming in. Uh, so when you buy the alkaline waters at the grocery store, it should just come from Austin because like we are at the upper <laughs> threshold of what is like legally allowed to, you know, be groundwater for pH. Um, so brewing with it. Yeah, we we put a lot of acidulated malt. And so it just kind of we drive that even further down. And then, um, yeah, we're still very lactic heavy in the in the world. But, you know, that's one of those things that comes, like, water profile is so fascinating because you can talk about water from different parts of the country and how everything reacts so differently. And um, we've just, yeah, we found that, like, we have to get ours down in that four eight four nine for these kind of beers where, you know, you have a high hop load or especially, like, any kind of fresh hop load. And I think it also is that German ale, like, we don't see the same uh, pH drop that you see with like a Chico or some of the lager strains. And so we want to make sure we're still, you know, underneath that four, eight finishing, um, which it honestly can be challenging with the uh, German ale, unless you're really acidifying uh, early on. So um, yeah, we, we drive that down really far early on. And it helps with the snappiness of the beer, you know, like, cause that chlorophyll gets so tactile if you're not, treating it with uh any kind of acidification and then you know steve to your point about like how quickly stuff falls off you know these beers they they can fall off so fast um i mean i you know again i, I wax nostalgic about this but you think back to fresh shops like uh, a decade ago and like after a week on a tap wall they were they were terrible right like <laughs> You have the best practices in they're the brew probably, house, and they're terrible. But, but I, I mean, were you ever were you even measuring pH back then? Because I wasn't. No, no, no. We <laughs> yeah. had a we had a pH meter. They were probably meter. dry hops with wet cones. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and like Zach, we find our shelf life is good, but oh, I mean, we see like we 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 canned a fresh hop for the first time last fall because of the three hundred one and. Uh, it had the same shelf life as our other products. Like, it, I mean, it was it was delicious. It would, you know, we were at we we put all our beers at ninety days. You know, we want you to keep it cold. Um, it tasted great still two and three months out, which was amazing. But Joe, you're not you're not selling the the urgency of people coming out to to get these beers. No, you still have to go. You have to go to, I'm going to, I'll give the, I'll give the pitch for Yakima. You have to go to Yakima because you have to go to Zach's place, fly to Seattle, go to Steve's, make the drive over. Now you, 
but this is like unless you understand what the sense of place is you're you're you really can't brew to it i think like you have to build those relationships as a brewer um you have to be able to understand what it means to be on that like drying room floor in the kiln and smell all that and then go brew a beer that takes you back to that i mean i think that's what it, i mean it goes back to the original question that's what inspired me to make wet hops fresh hops whatever you want to call these beers in austin texas is it transports you back to a time and place and uh it means a lot you know like when you're in there for the first time smelling those hops zach now the beer that uh, from you that you were drinking uh looking fresh is a hazy beer Hazy beer, but that's just Kolsch. And it's that's just it that, that haze positive that Kolsch ger- yeast. German ale, yeah. It's a great house yeast as long as you don't want to make clear your beer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or and as long as you don't want it to flock and be hard to harvest. It's awesome. You know, when you're when you're looking at West Coast versus a you know hazier style of, uh, of IPA, are there any other considerations that come into play with these fresh hop beers? So this brew, this beer is brewed more like a West Coast IPA. Um, I mean, it's a very simple malt bill, um, brewed to be relatively dry. It is, it it just has a residual haze from that German ale yeast. It's not hazy in the same sense that you get from a New England or a hazy IPA. Um, so yeah, our the malt bills are pretty basic, and then the fermentation is to to dryness, like two five three point Play-Doh or so. What else did you want to know about this beer? I don't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Steve and Joe are there finishing gravities that uh, that you know support your fresh hop idea, or are they pretty much in line with the rest of your IPAs? Yeah, I mean, like ours are still pretty low. You know, our yeast finish is around two for most of our beers. Uh, I mean, back to like the hazy thing too. I feel like we similar to Zach, or uh, probably similar to Joe too. Um, you worded it like, you know, the haze with the amount of like crazy polyphenol and just like vegetal component to it. Like we're we're not putting anything else in our beers other than like two row and pills while, you know, carafoam acid. Like there's like we're not there's no wheat, there's no oats, there's nothing to kind of like give it more body than it's already gonna get from that massive hop charge. Yeah. I mean, so like we've always had hazy beers. Like when we opened in 2012, like our IPAs were hazy because of the hot polyphenols. Like Steve mentioned earlier, he casually just is like, it's, you know, it's 20 pounds per barrel versus six or seven, like six or seven pounds per barrel is a lot of hops per barrel. Right. <laughs> like, well, it's that uh, hot and dry. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. like combo. But that's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a lot of hops per barrel. And that's how we've always been too, of like using a lot of hops per barrel. So we get a polyphenol haze and there is a texture to that too. You know, like it's, it's not intentional. Like we're not, you know, to Steve's point, like we don't, we don't use wheat. We don't use any, we're not trying to make our beers hazy. They're just hazy and we don't own a filter or a centrifuge. And so they're hazy. It's a nice world to live in these days, you know? <laughs> Ambiguous haze. (laughs) Ambiguous haze. That's a great beer name, Zach. Very confusing. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we uh, you know close here you know with just kind of a broader question. Uh, You know, as other folks are thinking about brewing fresh hop beers, 
what's the primary thing you know that they should pay attention to and focus on you know what what's the what are some of these difference makers um and maybe we'll start with you steve what what's uh you know you know for a brewer that hasn't brewed a, a fresh hop ipa or a fresh hop uh beer before what do you think is the most the key thing they should pay attention to that's that's really tough i i think that you know for first i, I mean just like from from a brewing uh like formulaic standpoint like coming out to the northwest in mid-october you know come out for fresh out fast in in yakima or come out a week or two later i mean you know most mosaic fresh out beers are going to be out till mid-october anyways and, and taste and see to kind of have a target that's like what i do when i'm trying to figure out a new style like i want to actually taste as many versions of the style as fresh as possible closer to the source as you know just to kind of like wrap your palate around it and that fresh hop festival is a great way to taste so many of these beers and really understand what's happening within that kind of realm totally i mean like you're not you're not gonna you're even this year i think they've uh i think it's kind of less there's less breweries but more beer this year is what i've heard so uh you're not gonna have as many wet hot beers at your disposal as a as a festival like anywhere in the world so it's like come there and try for better or for worse i mean you, you have to have a couple of duds every once in a while just to like realize like oh i wonder what they did there like where are they adding it just so you know where you don't want to go you know um i'm gonna say this as an outsider uh to the to the valley and to washington if you can make one beer festival a year uh, the Fresh Hop Festival in Yakima has put it on your list. I, I, I've done it, I think, twice now only, uh, because it's always hard because I, I, you know, I'm up for harvest so many times, but uh, it's amazing. It's it's an absolutely amazing festival. That one year you helped me pour, remember? You I were, helped. I actually helped you, you accept. came on I, stage. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had a lot of fun that year. I don't, I don't remember everything from that festival, but that was a fun year. Your, your mom's uh, cloudburst plague was amazing. Every year, <laughs> I've been, I've been meaning, I've been meaning to go. I've been meaning to go. Maybe, maybe this is the year I finally. Happens. I mean, Jamie, this is it. the year that it's not like you know. I'd say a third of the time it conflicts with GABF. So as far as right. like the same day, now that this season GABF is super early. Fresh out fast is the sec uh the second weekend of October, which is early. Right? It's about normal last few years. Seventh, yeah. Seventh or eighth of October. But well, harvest might be early this year. Yeah. By two days. Two days, seven days. Zach <laughs> Zach, for you, if somebody is tackling fresh hot beer for for the first time, what do you think are you know some of the key things they should pay the most attention to and, and focus most intently on? Well, I think there's kind of two ways to think about it. One is like, what do you want to make and taste and like the flavor of it, like the brewing technical technicalities of it. Like we were just talking about, there's managing pH, contact time and keeping improving vegetal and kind of gross. But then I think to make it really special and interesting for the brewers who are making it and then for the people who are going to be drinking it, like really finding a way to tell a story with the beer is what I think spending the most time on is what's most worth it. Um, even if you're just ordering and mailing in a bunch of hops, like you, there's still a lot that goes into that, that you can tell 
consumers about. Like if you're in a place where you're ordering hops, they're going to be frozen. There's still a lot of like process behind that, that the people uh, who are going to be drinking are probably unfamiliar with because they're not actually in Yakima. They're not in the Northwest if you're like having to ship those hops. And if you are somewhere where you can just drive and get hops, um, trying to figure out how you can best tell the story of making that beer and who you got the hops from and like then what you did with them and like why it's interesting and you know what's different about this versus a regular beer um and that's where i would put my attention if i was new to this or even if you've done it a bunch like i think that's what makes them really really special well hop harvest is one of my favorite times of year and and these days i keep trying to find ways to to get back out there and be you know, um, in the farms when these hops are coming off the vines. I think this year it's going to be Portland, Oregon, and the, the you know the kind of Oregon uh, grow area for me. And I hope that other brewers out there that are listening to this also take advantage of the opportunity to get out and watch, you know, and see and, and spend some time in these fields, getting to experience hops as they are coming fresh off off of the vines and being harvested. And getting to experience that because it's such a beautiful piece of this. And the beer that we make, the beer that uh, you all make, um, can't exist without the agriculture that supports it. And so on that note, thank you all for sharing your thoughts on brewing fresh hop beers. G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Transform your next IPA into a stone fruit powerhouse with HS Grove from BSG. Trust the experts at Old Orchard to handle freight for your ingredients. AccuBrew helps you detect problems before they ruin a batch. ProBrew's rotary can fillers reduce waste and produce higher quality packaged beer. Tabski QR code ordering is the future of brewery ordering. Omega stylized yeasts bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malts and hops. Keep your brewery running smoothly with five-star chemicals and ABS commercial is your full-service brewery outfitter. I think I've I've drunk this entire bomber of Joe's beer, and I think I drank drink like two cans worth of Zach's beer here. Um, and Damn, so buddy. I'm feeling I'm feeling fantastically fresh hopped right now. That's why I didn't say uh, beer. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> hey, I drank yours, Steve. It's been good, <laughs> or at least one of them. Jamie had my fresh hop at Firestone. You know, like I we can't we got to space them out when we're off season. It's like ours was a month before Zach's. You know, you kind of got like slow space them i probably had yours at firestone <laughs> but I'm not sure i remember eight we put the work in we put the work in you know just just because um you know steve if people want to learn more about cloudburst and the fresh hot beers that you make where do they find you well we we only use instagram these days because twitter's a shit show and I haven't been on Facebook in a long time. So yeah. it's not Twitter anymore, Steve. It's X. <laughs> it's X. You got to call X, it X. X. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Instagram is the easy way to follow us for sure. All right. All right. I can't wait go. till I, 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 every time I hear that, I think like, uh, are they going to move their data center to Texas? Because then you could say all my exes live in Texas. What? Oh, <laughs> boom. Hold on. So on that note, Joe, if people want to learn more about uh, Pine House. Yeah, we're right down the road from uh, the Gigafactory, which is going to probably be the future home of the uh, X Factory. So, uh, no, find, yeah, Instagram is probably the best for us. It's just Pine House Brewing. Um, 
check us out. We got a website too. I think it's getting revamped, but uh, Instagram is is the best way. So look us up. Zach, if people want to reach uh, Single Hill and uh, explore your fresh hopped beers, where do they find y'all? Same. I would, yeah, follow Instagram during harvest time, and that's kind of where that will live. That's where we'll if tell the If you want to feel jealous, just follow Single Hill's Instagram because uh, uh, that's what I do, and, and uh, it feels like I'm right there in the middle of harvest. Or come visit and, us uh, during harvest. The door's pretty open, so... The back door yeah. is always open at Single Hill Brewery. It's, yeah. It is. Hot, I can attest to that, too. <laughs> There's a camera, maybe though. There is a f- camera over the back door. Okay. All right. So Zach will know you're there. I've, like, yeah, gone even in there, more dropped now. a case of beer, <laughs> walked out without a peep. It's just, yeah, not, nothing. Yeah, that's why we never maybe- see you. Come on, man. Say hi. <laughs> maybe we'll find another another way this year to build some content around Fresh Shop Brewing with you, Zach. Um, but we will connect on that after this podcast. Um, nonetheless, thanks all of you guys for talking to me about Fresh Hop Brewing. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Much appreciated. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.